This episode of The Curly Critics is brought to you by our brand new merch store, found at tpublic.com, Curly Critics Pod. Link is in the description. From WBNE. Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Jade. And we're the Curly Critics. And welcome to episode two of The Magical Mission, where Jade reads Harry Potter. Today we watched Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We already know that Jade's history with this is that it doesn't exist. Yeah, man. I know there's, like, wizards and stuff. So I looked up some trivia on the IMDb trivia page because I like doing that. Yeah, of course. And I picked out the best ones. So the child actors would actually do their homework during class. Oh, that's so cute. So it would look more real. Little babies. And then Sir Alec Guinness was considered for the role of Dumbledore. But he died right before they like started. No. And then J.K. Rowling handpicked the guy who played Hagrid, the guy who played McGonagall, and the Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Oh, and those are the three best character, like the best adaptation characters in the whole thing. The one thing she did right. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and this was Emma Watson's debut theatrical debut. And she's, like, the best child actor in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, she literally just storms in and you go, oh, wow, holy moly. Although Bonnie Wright's good luck is pretty good, too. Yeah. Bless her. <laughs> so I also looked up what makes a good book-to-movie adaptation. Yeah. Because that's what we're looking at. Yep. And I've had lots of people with lots of different opinions. I've had very, lots of very long articles about it. But what I came up with is that for the most part, a book-to-movie adaptation, like the movie adaptation, should keep the core story mm-hmm. and the core themes, but not exactly be the same. Yeah. There was one talking about how the Hunger Games movie was too close to the book, and so it wasn't as good. I kind of disagree with that, but okay. So when you're, I feel like when you're looking at a movie adaptation, if it differs from the book in a way that enhances the book, it's a good adaptation. Okay. But if it differs from the book in a way where I'm like, why did you have to do that? That makes no sense. Percy Jackson. Right. And then it was talking about how there are certain things that really bring readers out of movies and that's when the like the thing the descriptions written out in the book are different in the movie like percy jackson when it goes on and on and on about how annabeth has blonde hair and green gray eyes and then the character that pops up there is brunette like yeah. it really takes readers out like they can't connect with that as much yeah and then like physical descriptions of places too yeah if there's a long-winded description in the book it should be in the movie it just, that description of Hunger Games doesn't make sense because I feel like Harry Potter is spot on. Yeah. It gets less spot on as you go on. Okay. Because, like, I think the biggest thing in Hunger Games, the biggest difference I saw was that it was less gory in the movie just to make it PG-13. People were like, oh, how do you make a book gory? But, I mean, it be like that. Yeah, I mean, that honestly was my complaint with that movie. Yeah. We just watched it, 
I watched it for the first time in like three years. Or maybe more. More like six years. Harry Potter. Not Hunger Games. Yeah, Harry Potter. And she watched it for like the second time in three days. (laughs) Yeah. But I was honestly pretty bored the whole time. It wasn't fantastic. I was like, oh man, it's only halfway through and I'm getting a headache. We spent most of the movie commenting on things than actually watching. Yeah, because at that point I'd already seen it once just to soak it in. And it was like, well, I don't have to completely soak it in this time. I'm going to take notes, but not just dive right in again because... Boy, it's hard to get past some things. Yeah. But I felt like the snake scene didn't really need to be in the movie. Not particularly, no. Like, I know the talking to snake stuff is important later on for those listening. Jade doesn't know anything about that. What the heck? (laughs) (laughs) So I can understand why that might be cool that you bring in. But honestly, you could have just done the scene where they bring baby Harry off to, like, Harry growing up and then getting the letters. Yeah. And, like, cut that whole part of the movie down to, like, 20 minutes. Because it didn't really seem to fit in, especially if you're watching it without reading. You're kind of like, why is there a snake scene? What's the point of this? Like, they just need to know the parents are abusive. No one cares about Dudley, let's be honest. <laughs> Dudley cares about Dudley. <sighs> he cares about cake. Don't we all care about cake? Yeah. So, you have any com- comments, things you want to discuss? <sighs> okay. <laughs> let's go right into Sir John Williams. My man. My dude. The... Great writer behind all of the Star Wars film things, musics, yep. And he wrote the music for this. I have lots of opinions about it. One, the music hardly ever stopped. And it was so loud compared to their talking, which is just a mixing thing, really. But it was really overwhelming. Like, in Star Wars... It was very, this song goes with this particular scene. Like, it's very specific. The award ceremony scene in New Hope. The scene anytime Darth Vader walks in the room. You know exactly what song is about to come up. There are little moments in between where there's music, but it's more specific. In Harry Potter, it was, like, I know there's a soundtrack, but... It seemed very, like the whole thing had music in it, and it was the same thing over and over again. The same, like, two themes going on. It was kind of annoying. And it had a lot of harp and trumpet. Such a weird mix, but that's cool. Yeah, I looked at the soundtrack, and... There's all the songs have like titles of when they happen, but the only one that we hear is Hedwig's theme. That is awful. Like the only the consistent theme is Hedwig's theme. Yeah. And I get that. It makes Which sense. Which I would play, but I don't want to be copyrighted. Oof. <laughs> nope. Not today. I just like that As a musician and someone who really loves movie scores, that was super disappointing to me. I was like, wait, 
my main man wrote this and it's like just this really like the action sequences were really good but everything else kind of it was uh, i don't hey yep didn't like it that much i was like i think they get better but i think i like the half-blood prince book six's soundtrack okay but that's five books from now so i can't actually tell you if they get better in the other ones the Harry Potter soundtrack is not one to, that I listen to on a regular basis. Yeah, I haven't heard many people say that, which is so shocking to me considering who wrote it. Yeah, I have a Harry like a a Star Wars playlist that's yeah. all of the Star Wars soundtracks from all of the movies. Yep. That I sometimes listen to, but I've never done that with the Harry Potter. I have some of the songs like in my study playlist. Yeah. Because I think they're fun. But it's, like, four songs out of eight movies. Yeah. Things like Star Wars, Inception, Indiana Jones, soundtracks like that really change lives. This one was just the same song. But I really... changed to a different key. I really do like the one song. But it was so many times. (laughs) Oh. And it was at random times, too. Like, there didn't really need to be a loud thing of music when they're talking about nothing important. Like, oh, man. It it bothered me. But, I mean, harps and trumpets. There's nothing like it, you know? I guess. Quite There's a man. the oboe. The superior instrument. Yeah. All right. Well... <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, he also used choral things. And I was like, ah, that's really funny because of Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) Duel of the Fates. Yes. Yeah, I forgot what it was called. But yeah, he used choral stuff in Harry Potter. I was like, oh, I see you. I see it. It was really (laughs) funny. I think it was when they were going to Hogwarts, like in the boats. No, instead of doing the Hogwarts song. Yeah. They did that. For once. I'm done. Get me out of here. <laughs> this is the first thing Jade commented on when they got to Hogwarts is they didn't do the song. It was like, Jade, they're they're not gonna do the song. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean the first thing I commented on when the DVD was put in was, oh yeah, this is the note I have, the music the whole time. Ugh. It's fine. It's fine. I'll stop talking about Freaking music. You I'm not a music person. Talk about engineering now. A music it's major, so never... I didn't see a problem with it, but I'll let the music major have her piece. Yep. You can just cut all of it. We want to talk about the architecture. I can do that. The <laughs> angles. <laughs> Calculus. How wizards don't learn math. Dude, seriously, though. That meme was funny. Oh my gosh. Oh, Harry. (laughs) Like, their currency rate is ridiculous, (laughs) and they don't go to math class. Yeah, normal people go to math until they graduate. These ten-year-olds don't know how to count like that. I don't... Eleven? Aren't they? They're They're eleven. Yeah. Still, like, I bet Percy can't count to five. (laughs) Person can do a lot of other things. Yeah. It's fine. What else do you got? Um. Oh, wow. 
everything was super dark. Like, just lighting-wise, everything is just dark the whole time. Oh, no. Darkness. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Foreshadowing. Literally, shadows. <laughs> it gets so much worse. <laughs> By the end, like, the last movie is just a black screen. <laughs> I'm going to find this picture, and I'll try and put it in the show notes if I can figure out how to do that. Of It's like a panel from every scene in the Harry Potter movies. What the that's crazy. Yeah, I like, know what to Google. it was just, just dark the whole time. Unless they were outside or there was a window nearby. And even then, sometimes it was storming or winter. Yeah. I think that's also just because it was in, like, an old castle that doesn't have very good lighting. They're, like, on an island. But, like, the sit- the sets and stuff were old castles. Oh, yeah, you're right. I guess. Lanterns everywhere. Whatever. Yeah, I found it. Is it just darkness? It's not a very... It, like, starts off bright ah! and then gets dark, and then there's that one really bright spot at the end, and then... What the heck? That's horrible. It fits with the theme of the books like the books get darker and like theme something to look forward to but (laughs) you'll see gosh oh when we get there um let's see okay this is one of my pet peeves Like, I don't know if anyone else notices this in people, but it really bothers me when it sounds like people don't know how to swallow their spit. Okay. (laughs) Like, anytime Daniel Radcliffe talked, it just sounded like it was all in the back of his mouth. He sounded like a Peanuts character. To be fair, he was 12. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, none of the others sounded like that. Can we just talk about Daniel Radcliffe in this movie? He's just a deadpan he little boy. He had no emotion. None! The entire movie. No shock, no dismay. They were like, Ollivander was like, you have the same wand as you know who. And Harry was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> yeah, like, whatever, man. And then later he, like, appro- he confronts Hagrid about it. And he's like, I know you know who that is. And Hagrid's, like, all scared and stuff. And Harry has no emotion. Then he stares at his dead parents in a mirror and is like, yep, alright. He's like, Ron, you have to see this. And that's the most excitement he has the whole movie. The only time I saw him super excited was, I think they're, like, trying to get in a door or something. And he, like, yells and bangs on the door. And I'm like... That was out of character. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. I do think that gets better. Yeah. If I remember. Hopefully. I think it was just because 12-year-old Daniel Radcliffe doesn't know how to act. Yeah. But you can be angsty and yell all you want. Yeah. I haven't watched the first or second. Like, I've only seen the first and second movie once. Hmm. Which is when I watched it right after I read the books. Right. All those years ago. So, like, going back and watching it, like, I watched 3, 6, and 7, and 8 a lot. Nice. Good so, to know. So, watching, like, adult them. Yeah. And then, like, going back and seeing, like, baby fetus them. 
Ew. <laughs> they all looked so young. Yeah. And they're just little baby faces, and it was so weird. <laughs> Especially, like, seeing them pop up in, like, social media. Oh, yeah. On, like, yeah. news feeds now in 2020, and looking back at them in 2001 oh was very gosh. shocking. Oh, that's a nightmare. Like, Emma Watson is a full-grown woman now. <laughs> yeah, heck yeah. Just thinking of her and perks of being a wallflower, I'm like, whoa, that is insane. Beauty and the Beast? Little women. Oh my gosh. Just Emma. Mm, my woman. Um. Okay, I did have a question. Did they ever say why Harry can do things with his eyes... But then needs a wand. Like, he did the thing with the snake. And he did the thing where he, like, burned up Quirrell. The Quirrell thing is because of the love magic. <laughs> She's making a face. She hates it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, as soon as I remembered that that was the line, I just shouted to the TV, At least your mom didn't die because of sadness. And it, it's... Rest in peace, Padme. <laughs> Ugh, it's so dumb. Yeah, I don't know when they talk about this, if they ever talk about it. I feel like in the book, Neville mentions it. Okay. There's, like, his grandma was afraid that he wasn't going to have magic, and so his, like, uncle kept trying to, like, hold him over bridges and stuff. Because kids have accidental magic. Oh. Because they, they don't know how to control it yet. So the wand is really just a way of controlling the magic, and you can use refined stuff for it. Okay. Because there's also, you can also do wandless magic that only really advanced people know how to do. Because once you learn how to control the magic with the wand, you can learn to control it without the wand. Like the enchantment thing with Snape and all that. Right. Okay. So the more powerful you get, you don't need the wand anymore, but kids don't know how to control their magic, so they do wandless stuff all the time that makes sense because it kept saying they were doing stuff and i was like what (laughs) why yeah and you haven't in the next book you'll meet house elves and house elves don't need wands either because their magic is really really powerful weird all right yeah i don't even know what that means you'll see it's like in the first chapter of book two all of your questions will be answered well not all of them um, the questions you have about house elves. <laughs> um, there were a couple of moments that they were exactly how I pictured it, which was so, it was like unsettling because you never expect that in a movie. It yeah. was so weird. Like the moment where they're like, they're kind of panning in towards the island that the Dursleys took Harry to Uh that that's pretty much exactly how I pictured it and then Diagon Alley was spot on that was insane to me I was like it it looks just how I imagined not like the shock that happened when I saw Logan Lerman in Percy Jackson and went nope that's incorrect (laughs) so far this podcast we've talked about Star Wars and Percy Jackson And Harry Potter. And the Hunger Games. And other movies. It's fine. You know. Yeah. I 
I watched the first movie right after I finished the first book. Yeah. So I can't tell in my brain what part I imagined it to be and what part it was just me seeing the movie and then implanting that into the rest of the books. Right, yeah. So I can't remember. I also, before I read the books, I was very aware of the character, the movies and the characters, and, like, I hadn't seen them, but I knew what they looked like, and I've seen clips and stuff. Yeah. So I feel like I went into the books already imagining the movies. Yeah. I could picture the three and Snape, obviously, but everyone else was kind of like, I don't really know what they look like. Yeah. And there are certain characters that I would stand by that they're how I would have imagined him if I had known him. Yeah. Like, Fred and George. And I think Emma Watson's a really good Hermione. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Rupert Grin is Ron. Yeah. He does a good job, but that's probably not how I would have imagined him. Yeah. And Daniel Radcliffe does a good job, too, but he doesn't have the descriptions that they have for Harry in the book. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, it doesn't <laughs> bother me. Because... James and Lily don't have the descriptions that they have in the book either. Mm-hmm. It would be weird if you had James with, like, super crazy hair and yeah. Harry, who didn't have super crazy hair, because they're supposed to have the same, but in the movie, neither of them do. Yeah. And Snape, I would stand by. McGonagall. D- the Dumbledore actor changes. What? Yeah. The, that actor... That we saw in that movie, Richard Harrison Harris, dies after book movie two, so they replaced him for three through eight. What the heck? That's why he looked different. Cause I think I've seen the other guy. <laughs> Dang it! Oh yeah. my gosh! I was like, "Are you sure that's the right guy?" Cause great. Yeah, well. and since since I hadn't seen movies one and two in a long time, it was weird. Yeah. Because I was expecting the other Dumbledore. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's, the other Dumbledore is a whole different vibe. Yeah. You'll see. Yeah, and I've also been to Universal Studios. Yeah. So I... So you get to walk into the world. So it's like, when they show Diagon Alley in the movie, I was like, I've been there. Like, it looks the same. Oh, that's so cool. And so I was like, I walked there, I like went into Ollivander's shop, like, I've seen this. It was a little bit different because it was, it had book six stuff in it, mm. which I'm not going to tell you about. Good. <laughs> and then like I've walked in the other universal park that has Hogwarts and like done the Hogwarts Express between the two parks and mm-hmm. it's honestly a great experience. Would recommend anyone go there. <laughs> so it's just so much of the movie has seeped into my understanding of the books. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why I wanted to comment on it now before it. I couldn't really comment on it later since I've seen a lot of stuff now. Yeah. And there's also. I read a lot of fan theories and stuff about Harry Potter and. So much of our, everybody, the whole entire fandom's understanding of the books has come from the movies. Yeah. But it's completely plausible that both Hermione and Harry could have been people of color. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So that's a common trope that people bring back up is Black Hermione and Indian Harry. Because it doesn't mention their ethnicity. It just mentions they're like, Hermione has bushy hair and Harry has crazy black hair. So it could be anything. Yeah. Which is when the Cursed Child book play, they have like black Hermione in it. And a lot of people were like, what? Hermione's not black. And J.K. Rowling was like, I never said what race she was. It was just the fact that Emma Watson was white, so we all just assumed that she was white. Yeah. And so that's a common thing. Especially, one of the things that's freeing about people who are really into James and Lily and their friends as yeah, a group like is this... somebody I know. <laughs> Not just me. <laughs> <laughs> I just read this stuff. But their group is the fact that they weren't in the movies. Well, they were in the movies. But them as younger kids weren't in the movies, so we can imagine whatever we want. Yeah. And so it's like taking hold of the world ourselves, and we can make our own headcanons of it free of a movie. Yeah. That's nice. Um, Snape is a lot like Darth Vader. That's nice. That's a good, uh, that's a good thing there. Oh my gosh. Um. (laughs) Well, that was really my only other comments were about, like, CGI and the whole thing. Like, the troll, the flags changing at the end, the centaur, the... Just everything. Just kind of looked like old video games. Yeah. We were talking about this while we were watching the movie. But, like, like original Star Wars movies. She was saying that they're better. They look better than what we just saw. Yep. But there's a difference in the way that they were doing this stuff. Like, I even commented when my family and I watched Gone with the Wind. There's that scene where the, like, place burns down. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't, the depot or whatever blows down. And when I saw it, I was like, that looks kind of real because it was a set that was burning down. Yeah. As opposed to CGI set, like, building that was burning down. And up until, I don't know when they started adding green screens and CGI stuff, but a lot of the fantasy movies from, like, 2000 to 2010 are just really bad. CGI-wise and green screen-wise, like, Attack of the Clones, you can tell that it's a green screen. You can tell that it's CGI, and it's kind of hard to connect the two. Yeah. And you just have to accept the fact that this is the way the movies are. Yeah. I mean, go ahead. So this is very similar with Harry Potter. Like, you could tell that that thing wasn't really there. And especially coming looking back at this after like 20 20 years 10 years of marvel movies yeah who's gotten really really good at the cgi thing it's weird to look at like we commented on the scene in the movie where oliver puts the bludger back in the box and i said it looks like they just gave him a round thing and said act like it's knocking being knocked around (laughs) (laughs) really did it was as still as anything and he's just writhing on the ground what an actor i love him he's pretty (laughs) what were you gonna say i just like 
the first Narnia was made during that same time, and they had a lot of different woodland characters and creatures and things. They had centaurs, and they just had people, like, on green screen stilts, and it still looked really good and believable. So it kind of sucks that, especially with the centaur in this movie, that they made the whole thing CGI. Like, there were yeah. options at the same time. I think that's the difference between this and Marvel movies and Narnia, is that Marvel movies and Narnia use a mocap system where you have a person with the dots all over them and mm-hmm. you have them acting and then you just computer animate around the person. And I don't know if that's what they did here, but I imagine it was kind of just like they generated the whole thing in the computer and yeah. went place. I just feel like there were different options, Mr. Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Bro. Like, I I think the technology could have been there at the time. Maybe it was a couple years later, but I don't know. I feel like they could have done a little better. Yeah, if anybody knows anything about how they CGI movies in the early 2000s, let us know. Yeah, because we're just talking nonsense. Yeah, Chronicles of Narnia was 2005. Okay, that's only a four-year difference. Yes. In the grand scheme of things, I wonder if the- Attack of the Clones is 2002, which is only a year after Harry Potter. Yeah. I'm trying to think if Revenge of the Sith had bad CGI in it. I didn't think so. I thought Mustafar was pretty believable. Because Revenge of the Sith was 2005 too. Yeah. So maybe it was just the 2000 to 2005 and then they figured it out. (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. Because all that stuff looked incredible in both of those movies. So, I don't know. But I do think it's a testament to changing technology and it is still kind of impressive that's true even though it doesn't necessarily look real but the fact that somebody animated a centaur and a troll and put it in a movie with live actors yeah big ugly troll great (laughs) it's really cool and i'm not trying to discredit anyone who does that and the people who like worked at that yeah i'm sure they tried their hardest yeah i mean it's Harry Potter. It's in the history books forever, so literally. Yeah. And they got an award for it. <laughs> yeah, the IMDb trivia said that Christopher Columbus didn't like the visual effects, and he said they weren't good enough, and then they still won an award for them. That's crazy. But I was... Harry Potter was so different on screen than anything else that was happening at the time. Fair enough. Like, how many magical worlds were being played out like that? Star Wars. Yeah. What are some movies in the early 2000s? Shrek! Which is animated. Yeah. Still, I'm just saying, I don't know what other movies were coming out. We were babies then. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. So, did you think that this was a good book-to-movie adaptation? Yeah, I mean, I, anything they took out, 
I could see why just for timing's sake. Like, it was a two and a half hour movie. It was very long. So they put in everything they needed to, like everything possible. And I really respected that. Like, I've never really gotten that with a book to movie besides maybe Hunger Games and kind of Narnia. But even then, like, it doesn't even compare to this. This was so nice getting to read the book and go, dang, I could have just watched the movie instead. That was really cool to me. Like, my family, they'll never read the books, but I can get them to watch the movies because if I tell them they're exactly the same, they'll be like, okay, we'll watch a movie. Yeah. They do get less stuck by the book because the books get thicker. Yeah. But the time period that you can have a movie be is still the same. Mm -hmm. You still can't go over two and a half hours, but book five is... 700 pages. I felt like... I felt like it was a good book-to-movie adaptation, but I feel like it didn't have the same feel to it. Okay. And it could just be because I'm very, like, worn on it. Like, I'm very familiar with the story, and I'm very familiar with the places. Yeah. But there wasn't a lot of magic and wonder for me. Yeah, that's fair. It was a lot of darkness and angst and... And it's like, when... Hagrid uses magic for the first time. Like, it doesn't feel magical. Yeah, it's just like, oh, he's making a fire with an umbrella. That's normal. And Harry gives, like, kind of a reaction. And that's it. Yeah. I think that's where the magic would have come from, is if the actors had really felt like it was more magical. And, like, I feel like when they walked into Diagon Alley, that was supposed to be that magical moment of a shift from, like, the dull, boring... To like, whoa, Muggle this world. crazy world. To oh my God. look at Diagon Alley with all these colors and all these things happening. Yeah. And it was supposed to feel amazing, but it didn't really feel that amazing to me. Yeah. It was, it still kind of looked like the dirty old world that they just came from. Yeah. Or even when he went through nine and three quarters, it still kind of looked the same. It was like, ooh, shiny red train, but everything around it still. Yeah, it was like the the same, same, but with red. (laughs) Yeah, and love trains, but I mean, yeah, I I get that. I feel like I only got that from the Wingardium Leviosa scene when she's staring up at the feather and she's like, whoa, that's really cool. That's the only time I really got that magical feeling where everyone's just staring at the feather going, I can't believe she did that. Yeah. Which I do think is also part of a testament to the writing, like the way J.K. Rowling wrote the book. Yeah. Because we both can agree that it's pretty spot on to how it was. Mm -hmm. And there was no moment that J.K. Rowling wrote that could have turned into this magical display. Yeah. It's, like, the first time in the book that we really see magic, intentional magic, is when Haggard gives Dudley a tail. Yeah. Which is, like, cool, I guess. But it's not this huge reveal. Yeah, it's no Disney reveal, I guess. Yeah, and the mail going through the fireplace was a cool scene. Yeah. I kind of felt giddy watching that. Yeah, that was cool. So that was magical. I liked the flags changing color. I thought that was really cool. (laughs) At the very, very end. 
There was a scene, I think, in the book where they're decorating for Christmas, and it was a really magical scene. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. I was telling her that I wish they had done more with Christmas. Yeah, what the heck? Like, if you were going to put the snake scene, the pointless snake scene in, you should also put in the scene where Fred and George are chasing Percy because he's not wearing the Christmas sweater. And, like, establish those family relationships a lot better in the movie. Yeah, we didn't see them at all during Christmas. It was just Ron and Harry and some teachers. And that's all we saw the whole time. And Christmas in the book is, like, two chapters, right? One yeah. or two chapters? Maybe more than that. Yeah, but in the movie, there's more people that stay there. In the movie, it was, like, five minutes. Yeah. Like, he wakes up, gets the invisibility cloak, sees the mirror of Erised, and then it's over. I guess the only thing that makes it make sense was in the book, Draco was kind of like, oh, you have to stay home because you're poor. He never said that in the movie, so it didn't make sense for all the Weasleys to stay. Well, there is a scene in the movie where Hermione's leaving, and Ron's like, well, I'm staying because my parents are meeting Charlie in Romania. It just doesn't make sense then. They mentioned Charlie more than once in this movie (laughs) for the fact that we don't get to see him ever. Oh my gosh, that was so dumb. And the dragon. (laughs) Yeah, they rode in and rode out a dragon in under 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, and then they kind of mentioned it later because of the plot, which was nice. But at the time it was like, oh, there's a dragon. That's really cool. Oh, now it's... Gone. Okay. Yeah, the way that this movie, this book appeared on screen, and the book itself is very similar to this, is these things happen because we need it for the plot. Yeah. The plot is very disconnected in this book, this book movie. Yeah. Which we commented on when we talked about the book. Mm-hmm. How things happened, and it was just like, because you had to introduce the magical world and have some kind of plot in order for it to be a book. Yeah. So the book was a lot of, look, Quidditch. Now we have to talk about Nicholas Flamel for a chapter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was dreadful. And so the movie was very much, Harry comes to live with the Dursleys, and then we go to the zoo, and then there's all these letters, and then we're in Diagon Alley, and then we're at Hogwarts. Yeah. And then Harry's on the Quidditch team. Then we're playing Quidditch, and then... They're talking to Hagrid, and then there's a dragon, and then they have detention. It all just flows very weird. Yeah. And you can tell that all these things are happening because they need it for the plot that was in the book. But the plot in the book is very thin. Yeah. And the whole dragon thing was definitely one of those moments of, they could have written this dragon out if they didn't need a reason for them to have detention. Yeah. It also... Just it not flowing very well. There were two scenes where the three, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, they meet up and one time they're like having lunch or whatever. And another time they're sitting by a fire and they're basically, Harry's just explaining to them like, oh, I think this person's evil. I think Snape is doing all this stuff. And it doesn't really make any sense, like, how he got to those conclusions without them either explaining it better in the movie 
or being able to see his thought process because in the book it makes sense that he got to these conclusions but in the movie it's so disconnected and you're like whoa he seems like a pretty smart 11 year old to come up with all this stuff out of nowhere yeah like there's the scene with the troll where harry sees snape's like bitten leg yeah and it doesn't make any sense and then all of a sudden, Harry's like, Snape is evil. Yeah. And if you, like, read the book, you know it's because he was trying to help Fluffy because there was a series of traps set up. Yeah. And Snape was with Dumbledore trying to set up the traps because they were trying to keep Quirrell out. And we see all of that flow because there's more time in a book. Mm-hmm. I was going to say something else and I forgot what it was. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that it seems like this movie does not work really well if you're not familiar with the book. But if you are familiar with the book, the movie itself is pretty boring. Yeah, that's kind of a double-edged sword. I don't- I feel like they do a good job of explaining the world. Yeah. In the movie. Yeah. I can agree to that. Like, that's kind of the purpose of this movie, is to just kind of introduce you. Like, if I were to have my family watch the other Harry Potters, they couldn't start at two. They'd have to start at one, because they explain everything in that one. I just wish there was more of a plot to follow, because if they watch one, they might not agree to any more. Right. So, yeah. The book, movie introduces the magical world well, and it can stand alone for that fact. But for the plot to really make sense, you have to be familiar with the book. And if you're familiar with the book, you're already introduced to the world. Yeah. So it's hard. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Because if you're familiar with the book, you really don't need to watch the movie. Yeah, unless you just want to see how they adapted it. Yeah. Like a big guessing game for two and a half hours, if you really want that. And the movie's close enough to the book that there's no surprises. They didn't change really anything. Yeah. Except for the fact that Ron goes to detention with them. Like, that was the biggest thing that they changed. And that Dumbledore gets rid of the dragon instead of Charlie's friends. And the announcer at the Quidditch game! Yeah, they did lead Jordan dirty. Ugh, that was my favorite line. Oh my gosh. That was upsetting. Do you have any other thoughts? Um, I think that was it. That's a pretty good gist of this movie. Do you want to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score? Ooh, um, that's like percent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, boy... I'm going to say 36. 36%? Yeah. That's really low. I can't... Okay. I'm going to say 70%. What? After that entire review we just gave? Yeah. Alright. Well... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We were both very wrong. The critic score is an 81%, and the audience score is an 82%. What? You were so much closer. 
That's still way higher than I would put it. Yeah. What on earth? I want to look at the other movies to see if they get better, but I also know that we're going to do them, so I'm just going to hold off. But I feel like the other movies are so much better than this. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm going off of. Like, people's assumption that... Like, I could see how the critic score would be that high because it's so close to the movie, but the audience score being higher? That's insane to me. Bunch of freaks? What are you doing? To be fair, I feel like most of the audience score is people who were like, oh, I enjoyed this, five stars. As opposed to people who actually analyzed it. I mean, I guess... But I'm just a person who's very into the world. Yeah. And the first book is very much like, okay, we introduced, now we're done with it. Like, I never need to go back to it for anything. Yeah. And a lot of my favorite characters aren't even in it. Yeah, I even after watching it for the first time, just fresh eyes, I would not give it an 80. There's no way. I'd probably go to 50, 60, but not 80. There's no way. 30 was a bit low. I feel bad now. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, all of the reviews are like, it's a really good introduction. Which it is. It's fair. Just as a movie, as a standalone movie, the plot wasn't great. Yeah, and it's talking about how it's a faithful rendition, slow, but it establishes the myth, the cast, and the look. Yeah. A fantastic beginning. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it didn't really leave me wanting more. Like, that particular movie, it was kind of like, okay, this was really long, and it didn't... Like, there were a couple of action scenes, and they won at the end, yay, but it didn't, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I have to see the next one. Yeah, I can agree to that. I feel like that's how you felt about the book, too. Yeah. And that's how I felt about the book reading it again. Yeah. I mean, not every book can have a cliffhanger, obviously, but it wasn't like, oh, conclusion, It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is my introduction book. This is my prologue. This is the prologue to the series. Right, and it doesn't even... It sets up the big bad. Yeah. And it's like, look, Voldemort's here. He's a big bad. But he also defeats... Harry defeats Voldemort at the end. Yeah. And the only thing that we have that Voldemort might come back is Harry... Dumbledore's like, well, you never know. Like, that's the only thing that has us pushing us on. (laughs) Yeah, like, what? And it's almost as if if we didn't know that there were six more books, you could assume that that was a conclusion. Yeah, like, oh man, this crappy Harry Potter book. Wow, okay. And then you see the next one come out and you go, wait a minute, there's another? What? (laughs) Yeah, because if... And there is an element, the first three books are pretty standalone in that sense. Okay. There are things in the second book that are important later on, Mm -hmm. and there are things in the third book that are important later on, 
But the fourth book is when you're really like, okay, now we're really in the story now. Yeah, I kind of got that vibe just from hearing you talk about it. Like, it wasn't going to do much for me this first few times. Which is sad. I feel, I'm trying to think if I hadn't been spurred on by the willing, the pressure of finishing. Yeah. Like, the challenge of finishing them all. Would I have finished them all? I wouldn't have finished the first book if we didn't do it for the podcast. I'm not even gonna lie. The beginning is so dry. It's awful. It's just Harry getting abused for five chapters. Yeah. It's kind of rough. It was so hard to get through those. But once I got through those, I was like, okay, I'm learning. Oh, there's Quidditch. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm trying to think about why this book would be appealing to so many people. But I do think there's an element of the fact that we both read the read the book for the first time mm-hmm. as more mature adults. That's well, fair. Like, I read it at 13 or 14, but Still, you read you... it at 21. But if it's a book geared to 10-year-olds, yeah, and I read it five years after that, it's not going to have the same appeal to me. Right. Kind of like if we read Percy Jackson for the first time now... It probably wouldn't do much because you'd be like, oh, cool, this 13-year-old. Like, oh, this plot is not very complex. Yeah. But the series grows up with its reader. Yeah. Percy Jackson does the same. So I guess that's why there's a big following of people older than us. Yes. Like, there's a huge following because they grew up with it. We have a bigger following of Percy Jackson people. Right, so people in their 30s were the right age when the first book came out. Yeah. That they could have read the first book when it came out and then just read every book when they came out. Mm-hmm. While we were pretty much, I think, I don't know when the last book came out, but by the time the books were done was when we were old enough to really start reading them. Yeah, and at that point, there were some people I knew who had been reading them for a little bit, but for the most part, it was, like, older siblings that had really gotten into them. Yeah, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows came out in 2007, so we were eight then. My gosh. Yeah, so by the time we would have been ten, the series is long gone. And the movies were still coming out, because the last movie came out in 2011. But still, I mean... Yeah, and so all of my friends that were really into it had older siblings. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a big difference. And understanding that the book does not really hold up the older you get. But people are mostly going back to it out of nostalgia. Yeah, of course. It's like the first few seasons of Boy Meets World. Uh... (laughs) Ugh... Those do not hold up at all, even for kids now, because they may feel relatable in the themes, but their technology is so outdated, and their styles and the way they talk. But yeah, like, I have a hard time watching those books, those seasons again, seasons one through four and a half. Yeah. Just because they're so young. 
But the high school and college seasons were so, like, they were candied us. Yeah. Because we're that age. And we watched them, we both watched it for the first time in high school, right about the time that Girl Meets World came out for the first time. Yeah. Because we're way too young to be actual Boy Meets World followers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, like, things that are meant for children are meant for children. Yeah. And it's hard to go back to them as adults. Unless you've been following it since you've been children. Yeah. In a few years, there's going to be, like, grown people who go back and watch Descendants. I'm pretty sure. Like, we go back and watch High School Musical all the time, and those movies are not good. No. But it's just a big nostalgia thing. And, like, Hannah Montana and Lizzie McGuire... Kim Possible. Kim Possible still holds up, and I will not argue that. But all these childhood things are very important to us so many years later. Like, I was trying to watch Avatar. The Last Airbender. Yeah, The Last Airbender, the cartoon series. And it is so childish. But people are so into it right now because it just came on Netflix. But they watched it as kids. Yeah. Like, my older brother watched it. When he was growing up, and he was super into it, and I have a friend who's really, really into it because she watched it growing up, and so she was like, you have to watch it. So I'm watching it, and I'm going to get through it, because my younger brother told me it gets better, and I believe him. (laughs) He told me that season one's really bad, and most of the time, season one is really bad of all shows. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that's all I have to say about that. That's basically the point, is that, like, nostalgia is probably the biggest factor, but these books will probably get better, one, because there will be more things happening, hopefully, but yeah. two, just because we'll be closer to their age at that point. Yeah, they get more complex, and you get older characters in them. Good. <laughs> so it's the story doesn't just... It's about Harry and his friends, and as they grow up, and they're 13 in this one and 16 in this one. Yeah. But you also have elements of, well, now you have Sirius Black in it, and he's, like, 35, and you have Tonks, who's, like, 25, and... Yeah. So you have all these older characters that are also being a part of the story, and you have elements of Fred and George grow up, too, and they're two years older than Harry and Ron and Hermione, and so... As they're growing up, they're older in age two. Yeah. And so as all the characters get older, and so it's Mm -hmm. easier to relate to when you get older. Yeah, with this book, it was a little depressing that the people I most related to were like Wood and Percy. (laughs) Like, oh, dang, I'm old. Yeah, and they were both like 15. Yeah. In that movie. It's also... Once you reach a certain age, and I feel like the age is, like, 20, unfortunately, where your mind shifts from, oh, that's so cute and childish, to a more parental point of view. Yeah. And so it's hard to watch 11-year-olds play killer chess and be okay with that. Oh my gosh, how did she even write that? That's so weird. Because it's like, we don't have kids, but we have no friends that have kids, and... We're significantly older than people in middle school right now and people in elementary school right now. So we're we're legit adults now. And so we look back and 
think like that's not that's not okay. It's like that meme that goes into a kid. You're all on board for when Ariel's like, I'm 16. I can do whatever I want, and the dad's yeah. like, You're so stupid. <laughs> but when you like watch the movie again, you're like no longer on Ariel's side. You're on Triton's side. Yeah, and that's just part of growing up. Yeah, I feel like an 11-year-old reading this right now would be like, dude, killer chest, that'd be awesome, oh my gosh. But I'm like, no, that's really dumb. Yeah. Well, what would you rank it out of 10 pineapples? Oh, boy. Um... Well, now that I gave it a very bad score Thinking on... about how much you like it and how good of a book-to-movie adaptation it was. Right. Um, I'm thinking a five. Just, it's kind of in the middle. Like, there were some parts I liked on both ends, but there were a lot of things I didn't like on both ends. So... I'm just, I'm going down the middle. I'm going to be that guy. Yeah, I'm going to say a six. Yeah. Because I'm optimistic. And it is the introduction to a world. Yeah. And I do. I've read other introductions to worlds that are better. But I really, really like this world specifically. Okay, yeah. And I like being like, I don't necessarily like this plot, but the world that she created in this book and in this movie I really like it. Yeah. And so I'm going to give it a six because it's not the best, but it's a good world. That's fair. So that gives it five and a half pineapples. Nice. For both of us. Actually, probably more than that. That's fine. Five and a third pineapples. Yikes. So that's our comments on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The movie. The movie. If you haven't checked out our last podcast episode where we talked about the book. Probably do that. Yes. And our next episode in this magical mission will be Chamber of Secrets. The book. Yeah. Which hopefully we'll like more than this one. Forgot that's what it's called, so <laughs> that's how we're doing. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curly Critics Pod. Email us with feedback or comments at curlycriticspod at gmail. Rate us five stars. Five pineapples. Tell your friends. Yep. Please love us. Yeah. It's fine. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and don't forget to check out this podcast from the WBNE Network. Hi, I'm Julia, the host of Unsobered, Women of History and Literature, the podcast where I talk about the women that the history books, history classes, and the general public often overlook, or who just get a brief mention, but we never really know the whole story of their impact on the world we live in. On Unsobered, I share the stories and histories of these amazing, strong women, And while I tell you the history we don't get from traditional history classes, I get more and more drunk over the course of the episode. So join me to learn about your favorite women 
or to find a new favorite woman that you didn't even know contributed to one of your favorite things. New episodes released every other Friday.